Welcome back, everybody. Great American Dynasty podcast, episode number 11. And um, so we were talking a little bit before this, Blake, and uh, our playoff chances are we're scraping the bottom of the barrel now. Um, We're basically in a spot where we cannot lose a game and we can hope that St. Louis does not win a game. Um, And I think it it goes to show, as we mentioned before, all the way dating all the way back to that Dodger series, that Dodger series, you know, and even the month of September as a whole, when you're consistently losing series that you should win, you're setting yourself up for a very, very tough, um, tough skid where you have to basically win out Um, after that Dodger series, at least in my mind, when we dropped two out of three there, um, you know, even to me personally, after winning that first game, I was really, really like, um, I had a lot of hope because winning that first game, you just have to win one of the next two. Um, but after losing that, dropping those last two in the Dodger series, to me personally, I felt like we had to win out and, Obviously, we have not. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're in the probably the worst spot you could be in because not only do we have to rely on ourselves to really, really push the needle here and win against against the White Sox, a team that is good. Um, they may be resting players, but you're still going to have Tim Anderson on the field for at least one of those games. Uh, Jose Rayo. If he doesn't get suspended for today, um, for today's fight in Detroit, but you're you're basically talking, you have to be perfect and you have to rely on other teams to get you in. Right. We we've said since the beginning of this sort of uh, this sort of race that you control your own destiny, and now that destiny is pretty much out of our hands, unless we can just win the rest of our games and hope and pray that St. Louis gets off this 16 game tear that they're going on through the MLB. Um, And they've got the Brewers and the Cubs coming up. So uh, you got to hope that the Brewers kind of, they're throwing two of their best. They're throwing, let's see, they're throwing Woodruff and Hauser the next two games. Um, so maybe that throws our offense off uh, for the Cubs, but it, it's out of our hands now. Um, unless you just start absolutely winning and the Cardinals just choke this away. But um, this is going to be, uh, like you said, a tough, tough White Sox team coming up. Um, and they're going to be fired up uh, because of that benches clearing incident. Uh today and they're throwing Rodon the second game so there's just two obstacles overcome but like you said they've already clinched uh the central al central so they may end up playing their scrubs um and we've got riley o'brien getting called up for the opener the number 24 prospect in our uh, our system uh four five five era this year 1.31 whip 121 Ks over 23 games. Um, so 
it's it's a pretty impressive stat line. So hopefully uh, he can come through. But yeah, this is this is going to be a really tough next two series. Yeah, and especially I think it's 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 even worse when you can't exactly what you said when you don't control your own destiny. You're you're really relying on this to happen or that to happen and at the end of the day if if it, it only takes one so it's not like you have a lot of wiggle room um i know rodon this is his first i believe or one of his first starts since the all-star break um so maybe some things start to go in our favor but you know Again, just like you said, we put ourselves in the worst position possible moving into the down the stretch in these last what five games, six games, um, these last two series, these last five games. So it's it's very tough to, um, at least for my side, looking at it when I was watching. I watched some of those Cardinals games, especially because when they start to pick up steam like that, and you're you're rooting for a team to lose, and God knows that I hate the Cardinals. So, you know, when you root for a team to lose, and you're you're watching them and stuff like that, at, le- at least that I have over this past week, it seems like every they just don't make mistakes. They don't make the the silly mistakes um and at least for me with goldschmidt in their lineup right now and the way tommy edmund tyler o'neill and harrison bader have been hitting lately and arenado is going to be arenado um it's it's really they they hit mistakes anything that is hanging in the zone um is catching a barrel right now for that lineup and they even had uh, what Lars Newbar, a rookie, come up and really produce for them. And with with Flaherty out, or at least he was out, they really have brought themselves from the grave. Um, winning 16 in a row is no easy feat, of course. Winning 10 in a row is no easy feat, but... I think it's more impressive to see that that they I don't want to say impressive because it's the Cardinals and I hate the fucking Cardinals, but it's impressive to see that when they're, they're playing games, they're not like they're not winning these like big slug fests and they're not shutting teams out either. There, it's timely hitting. It's it's a lot of like, you know, controlling innings, managing the damage, and really just like not making mistakes. And it's tough to see, especially when like there's certain games that we've had where we struck out double digit times, um, the Reds, and it's really hard to see when, you know, at least from my end all the injuries that we've had with Mustakis with Winker coming back for one game and then going straight back to the IL 
he was obviously done for the season and he looked like it on the field. Um, he just looked like half the half the player that he was before. You could tell that just moving around and agility wise, I don't think that he was even up to par near what he was, but um, he tried to force his way back, obviously back on the IL. And then um, obviously with Wade Miley, he's been basically our rock all year. Um, you know, these last few starts for him, I don't think they've gone his way, but he's been our rock f- through a good, what, three quarters of the season. And it's tough to see when you've got so many guys that really contribute to your lineup, um, kind of sway back and forth between the IL and playing. Um, and especially even TJ Anton um, being shut down for the season, second Tommy John. That's just, I think for me, that's more of a concern moving forward. Um, I think trading for those bullpen pieces was a really good, um, were really good additions because we've had TJ Antone injured. But for me, looking at years down the road from now, I want TJ Antone to be an anchor in that bullpen. And for him to have two Tommy John surgeries this early in his career is very, um, let's just say, not promising. Right. Um, kind of reminds you of, uh, oh gosh, who was that? Who was that one lefty? Sean Marshall. Sean Marshall. Um, what a name drop. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of back and forth uh, on, on the uh, DL and off the DL with arm problems. Um, but yeah, that, especially the winker is the winker injury. I feel like that really kind of took the wind out of our sails because he is such an important piece in that everyday lineup. And to see him go down was, you know, trying to come back and heroically just try and play through the pain, but he just didn't have, he wasn't all the way there. Um, And, you know, that, might end up costing us in the future, unfortunately. Um, but who knows? These weirder things have happened in baseball with five games left in the season. So we were just living on a prayer here. Yeah, and um, maybe now is a good time to mention it. It sucks to see some of these guys stepping up now when we've had the opportunity all season to step up. Um, You know, I I don't want to say Tucker because he's been enough for us all year, but like Suarez, good God. Um, Really doing it when it doesn't count. Um, You know, and it, it sucks to see because. I forget what the exact number was, but it was around the 400s range of what he's hit in September. Um, And it's not, let's just say I wish it would have happened in the previous four months. Um, It's, it's a very like, especially with Moose being out, 
like we had to rely on Suarez. He had to play. You're not going to put Mike Freeman into play. I mean, so really having to rely on a on a Suarez who was struggling earlier and essentially now has found his footing. Um, and again, maybe it's just against the Pirates, but for the last, I at least watching the games, it feels like for the at least last couple series or maybe even couple weeks that he's been just lighting it up. Um, and our our pitching has been decent. Um, decent enough to win games. Not terrible, not great. Um, looking at, you know, so we've given up. Let's just take this national series and this Pirates game. Given up two runs, or given up three runs, then seven, then six, then two, and then obviously one today against Pittsburgh. Um I wish we could play every game like we just did and have as many hits as we just did. I mean, we had 17 hits in nine innings. And I'm just, to me, I wish we could put some games together where we are, um, we are on both sides of the ball, you know, pitching well, playing defense well, and also hitting well at the same time. I mean, you know, to me, our pitching this game was very good, and I think it proves to we only walked two batters. Um, only walked two batters. You gave up six hits. Five of those coming in the first five and two-thirds, and only one coming um, after that. But San Martin, he looked awesome. He looked great. Um, And I think it speaks to it. A lot of command of the off-speed stuff. Um, A lot of command of that slider. It seemed like every, every slider that he struck a batter out on was on a at least earlier in the game, I saw a couple righties where the slider was just below the zone, right where you want it. Um, and it, it really, it's really given me a lot of hope about this farm system. I mean, you're thinking San Martin, Barrero, um, you got Friedel that's come up and has made an instant impact, you know, um, and then you got St- obviously Stevenson in, in India, but then, Another key piece that I don't think people mention enough, Max Schrock has been the a perfect utility, you know, kind of second, third. Don't quote me on it, but I think he can play a little short and also playing in the outfield in every position. I mean, that's been just that'll quote me now, quote it right here. Eventually it will pay off that someone is gonna get hurt or someone is going to need rest or whatever, and Max Schrock is going to step up in a big spot in a position that he doesn't usually play. Right. You know, that, and that sort of gives me hope for the future. And we'll, we'll talk about this um, maybe next episode or a couple episodes down where our off season needs, you know, depth has not been 
uh, th- especially this year, depth has not been one of our strongest suits. Um, and that was especially seen with Moose getting injured, Suarez not playing up to par, um, Winker's injury, Castellanos getting hurt, um, all these guys going down, and we didn't really have a guy on the bench who could step up and do a job. Aquino and Akiyama batting below the Mendoza line, even though they've got their tools that can help out the club, that's not a winning formula. Um, but, you know, you get, like you just mentioned, guys like Raver, San Martin, who come up and step up. Uh, guys like Schrock, who come up and step up in these situations where we need a guy to fill that spot in the lineup, fill that spot in the rotation, and they come through and just perform. Um, and that we'll get into this later, but that is what is sort of really crushing to see some of these, uh, these uh, pieces in our minor league coaching staff, see them go. Um but to keep it on positive right now, you know, guys who are stepping up. How about Joey Votto? The oldest NL player to reach 35 plus home runs since Barry Bonds, Moises Alou, or Steve and Steve Finley, all three of those happening in 2004. And he missed a month because of a broken finger. How insane is that? Yeah, I mean, and it really speaks to it, you know, not taking it away from we'll get back to Vado right now, but ev- everybody who's missed time, like Vado and Castellanos both missed time and have both racked up counting stats. Um, anytime you can be mentioned in a sentence with steroids, Barry Bonds, um, you're doing something right. It's, it's very um let's try and keep it on a positive but mention this very not not encouraging to see these seasons kind of be pissed away um and maybe you could say that joey is a big reason that we are where we are right now record wise but um especially i think it's so impressive to see missing a month of the season, a whole month. And then you're still counting close to 40 home runs. Like you're mentioned, you're being mentioned with guys that, you know, Barry obviously isn't in the hall of fame, but you're being mentioned with guys that are hall of famers or potential hall of famers. Um, You know, it's so impressive. And especially with Castellanos, I believe he missed a month too, or even more than a month. Um, I want to, let's just put it like three to five weeks, somewhere in there. And you're still talking. He's got 97 RBIs. Like that's just, he's hitting 310, 97 RBIs and 33 home runs. He still has an OPS of above it's almost 940. It's 939. So when you've got these guys that are missing time and still putting up counting stats like this, you know, it really speaks to the amount of production that happens when they are on the field because it's making up for that time lost. And, you know, our offense has really carried us at points this year. 
um, especially early, early in the year, um, and even throw Winker in there, you know, um, Winker, I think a lot of people might forget this. Casti earlier in the year, Castianos and Winker were mentioned simultaneously as number one and number two in MVP voting earlier in the year. That's a big deal for the first half of the season. For the first 81 games of the season, they were one and two in MVP voting. That's a big deal. And that's, at least for me, partially why we are where we are right now. Um, looking at the not-so-lighter side, you know, we, I feel like we are really wasting away. I mean, Joey Votto deserves a ring. This, the time span that he's been productive, he could be sitting on two MVPs right now and possibly mentioned for a third. Um, if, if the Reds are successful in that 2017 season, there's no doubt in my mind, I think Joey probably wins that, that MVP right there. And obviously he did win in 2010, but, um, it, it's insane how those two years and even this year, he obviously, I don't think he's going to win MVP, but, um, you know, you're, we're talking about. Joey Votto, where a lot of national baseball analysts, at least, they're like debating whether it's he's a Hall of Famer or not, and that's blows my mind. And I think that is a direct correlation to the Reds not exactly being postseason contenders because of guys like, like obviously, I think Pujols was obviously probably a more dominant hitter for uh, St. Louis, but I don't think Albert is talk about in that light. If St. Louis doesn't win a couple world series there, um, like Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner. Do you really think that they're talked about in that light? If San Francisco doesn't win three titles in six years, you know, if, if the Reds had a lot of postseason success or at least getting deep in the postseason, I think Joey Votto is not mentioned as, if he is a Hall of Famer or not, it's whether he's first ballot. And that's really sad to see that a guy that has been an, an anchor and basically the one, he's been old reliable for us. The guy that you throw out there for 150 games every year and he's going to produce at an elite level. And now there's certain people that are talking if he's even a Hall of Famer. That really sucks to see from, from a Reds fan. Um, but also, speaking on the not-so-lighter side of things, um, Kyle Body, C.J. Gilman leaving, um, not that's, that's a tough one to swallow. Um, those were two guys that were hired within the last couple of few years, and have really made an like changed the way that we develop players as an organization. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Kyle Body was the um, him and Trevor Bauer maybe are the ones that really brought Driveline into 
and sort of the analytics into the Reds organization, correct? Yes. So obviously we can see how that's changed our organization. Um, they've really taken our farm, farm system and put it at an elite level. And to see that kind of, I believe they were resigned. They were not fired. They resigned. So to me, that kind of speaks volumes. And I don't think Kyle Body goes anywhere else. Um, I don't think he has a passion to go anywhere else. He always said how Cincinnati was his spot to have kind of that creative freedom and do what he wanted and do what he thought was right would help um, the Reds organization. So it's a really tough pill to swallow seeing that happen. Right. I mean, anytime you take, I believe it was the sixth worst uh, pitching uh, farm division in terms of pitching, and you make it among the top 10 best in development, that is that is absolutely insane in in a span of two years and you have and that guy leaves because he feels like the development path of the organization is going in a different direction than what he wants that is really scary to me um and that that's sort of uh the downside of um this kind of development cycle as of late. I mean, body was just so instrumental in body and Bauer were so instrumental in with the, uh, the metrics uh, being implemented in that um, development process and all the sort of uh, facilities that driveline provides. Um, and then Gilman, I mean, a guy that, you know, probably had a big hand in someone like Jonathan India uh, improving to a point where he was in that uh, conversation of uh, starting on opening day and then eventually in the talks for rookie of the year. I mean, he pretty much is the rookie of the year at this point. Those are two damn big blows to your development system. And it really makes me question what the Castellinis are thinking uh, in terms of the future of this ball club. Yeah. And to speak to that um, guys like, and you know, he's had a big hand in guys like India and let's not forget Stevenson and going down, Aquino was still takeaway this year. And, you know, we're, we're still talking about a guy that has raw potential, um, straight up raw strength. And even maybe a guy like Josh Van Meter that was traded away, but really had a hand in development of guys coming through that had immediate and lasting, hopefully, um, impacts coming up. And it's 
just like you said, it's very concerning and very disappointing to see guys that have basically said, I want to be nowhere else but Cincinnati, leave Cincinnati. Like, so what what has happened in that span of time? And I think you hit the nail on the head where they're changing direction. I don't know what that direction is to. I cannot imagine what that direction is to other than what they would have recommended. It seems like, like you have the answers to the test and you're second guessing it. It's proven to work. You've gone from bottom to top and you've had guys come in where Trevor Bauer wins a Saiya. Sonny Ray turns his career around. Like guys that we take, we take guys that maybe don't have, and this is speaking maybe more to Derek Johnson, that have failed in other places and turn them into reliable starters or bullpen pieces for the future. And it's very concerning to see two guys that are very highly respected everywhere. Um, basically, again, say that they want to be nowhere else but Cincinnati and then end up leaving Cincinnati. So I really don't know where that's going to take us. I don't know who would even get hired if we would just backfill it with um, maybe a hitting coach in the minor leagues or something along those lines. But just like you said, very, very, very concerning to see that. Um, and hopefully whoever is coming in and filling that position or those positions is among the same mindset or as respected as those two are. Right. You hope maybe they find like someone who was, you know, associated with them, uh, associated with that mindset, or like you said, has that same mindset because this is this metric-based approach has been so valuable to this organization and to see it slip through our grasp, um, like you said, with guys that wanted to be in Cincinnati, no matter what, um, that, that is really discouraging. And, you know, obviously you hope that um, we can find someone along those lines, kind of like you said. Yeah, I don't think you're ever going to find the exact kind of uh, match there. Um, and maybe this kind of lead this kind of leads into our the next thing I wanted to bring up where um, David Bell has signed a two-year extension um, through 2023. So I've seen a lot of differing opinions on this. And I've seen a lot of verified reds twitter accounts spew bullshit all over the place um you know i i think we forget a lot of the times how um at the end of the day the players on the field have to produce and have to play um i really don't i don't understand at least from my point of view um and i know a lot of people have a lot of differing opinions I don't understand what is, I guess, um, quote unquote, wrong with David Bell. 
So what I think the question that at least would be a good starter is what do we think constitutes a good manager then? You know, are we, are we saying that a good manager is just a manager who is, is on a team that's winning? Because it seems like that's ultimately what I think a lot of people are, are, are really going towards. And I, I just don't understand it. A good manager really is someone who understands the flow of the game and really has that sort of good instinct on when to make moves, not overmanaging. You know, when it really comes down to understanding your players and how their mindset works and what their limits are. Um, and that's really learned over a period of time. You know, in 2019, you know, David Bell did make some questionable decisions, but that was his first year in the organization. I mean, you got to understand rookie managers aren't going to automatically know their roster right off the bat. Um, I feel like 2020, um, 60 game season, you know, that, that really didn't help matters any. But I think this year, really, he's sort of come into his own. The problem is he's not getting any assistance from the front office. You look at the bullpen that he has been provided over these past three years. It's absolutely awful. Our ERA, our bullpen ERA is through the roof. And you're blaming Bell on you're blaming Bell for those failures. I mean, when guys like Brad Brock, Heath Hembry, and whoever the hell else were in that bullpen and you're blaming him for throwing those guys, he can't throw TJ Antone every single night. He can't throw Lucas Sims every single night. I mean there comes a point where you have to realize that the manager isn't responsible for putting a 40 man roster together for putting a 25 man roster on the field every day. He, he can only write the lineup card for the nine best guys that he has on a team. And he can only put, he can only throw the five best starting pitchers, you can only put out the seven or eight, you know, best relievers that there are that there is on that roster. He doesn't control the roster. He only controls the lineup card every single day. And I feel like Bell really has he knows his players, he knows their strengths. The problem is they're just you know, the bullpen hasn't been very good. The, there's no bench depth. What else can he do in his position? Yeah, and I'm looking at it in the same perspective of let, let's compare, um, because I feel like um, let's compare Kevin Cash and David Bell. Um, kind of the same analytical mindset and the same um, approach to the game in a sense where Kevin cash will 
make decisions strictly off analytics and basically throw intuition out the window. Um, and we saw that with, um, you know, when Blake Snow, it was a big, big deal and big news when Blake Snow got pulled in the World Series. But I think a lot, a lot of people forget what he did all year pulling Blake Snell in that same exact scenario is what got them to that point. It's why their whole team is healthy. It's why Blake Snell is struggling in San Diego now and didn't struggle in Tampa Bay. It is exactly the reason why you see very, very few people from Tampa get hurt. It is exactly the reason why you see a lot of people have success because they are put in scenarios where statistics will ultimately uh, guide you to a decision. However, there comes a certain point, a.k.a. the World Fucking Series, where you got to let your horse ride. You got you to let your horse run. Um, I'm not saying... And at least for me, I'm not saying that David Bell is the best manager ever and that he is the ultimate savior for the Reds. That is simply not true. But I believe he gives you enough um, stability and knows sort of what clicks and what doesn't. Like, for example, when when we were... um, last year in the shortened season. Um, Michael Lorenzen, when the season first started, it seemed was blowing every single game. It seemed like every every single time he came in, we were giving up runs. Didn't matter situation, didn't matter clean inning, didn't matter runners on base, did not matter what inning, how many outs. It seemed like even with two outs and nobody on, we were giving up runs with Michael Lorenzo on the mound. Who else are you going to put in (laughs) looking at that? I mean, again, to your point, we cannot throw Lucas Sims, TJ Antone every single day. And, And I think maybe there's a lot of people that don't know a good thing when they have it. A lot of people were so happy when Raziel Iglesias left. He's a fucking top five reliever in baseball this year in LA. Top five closer. He's he has a two six ERA. So again, I don't understand when when he blows two or three sli- two or two or three saves in a span of what two, three weeks, and then we're just going to flush him down the toilet and act like he's the worst reliever of all time. And again, I think we did that to um, maybe not. Amir Garrett had a little more, um, let's just say, bad games um, than than Raziel Iglesias did. But I think as, as soon as pe- people expect, at least from my point of view, and speaking on these verified accounts um, that that are talking uh, about Reds games every time, it seems like whenever the Reds are winning, they're the best team on earth. But whenever things don't go our way, they're the worst team that's ever been put together, ever. 
And it's just simply not true. At some point we have to look at, we have to look at depth. We simply had zero depth. We had, if, if one guy goes down like a Moustakis earlier in the year. Okay. Winker or not Winker, um, India and uh, farmer kind of stepped up and filled together what we thought Moose would have been, um, especially Kyle Farmer for that one month. But as soon as multiple injuries have happened around the diamond, and it seems like in the bullpen, as soon as more than one guy is not throwing well, everything goes to shit. And we're giving up 11 runs and only scoring two a game. And it seems like a lot of these um, a lot of these Twitter accounts, and I will leave it at Twitter accounts, are really um, going up and down, back and forth. They're really hot and cold with this team. And the only thing that I would say about that is at, at what point are we just going to be honest and say the team needs to be built better and the guys that we are paying double digits in salary need to be performing better. Suarez needs to be better than 190. It's just got to happen. Castillo has got to be better through the first half of the year. It's just got to happen. The guys that we are relying on are not performing. And again, I don't know how much you can blame on simply David Bell. Like, if, if David Bell is just going to be the scapegoat, then just come out and say that. But it seems like when the players in the, this team are successful, it's because of the players on the field. But when the players in this team is not successful, it's on David Bell. And to me, that just doesn't make sense. What Again, what is what is our definition of a good manager? Because if if people's definition of a good manager is just a manager of a team that is winning, then we can, let's just not have a manager at all because it's the players playing and we'll just throw the manager out the window. For example, how many people realistically think that Mike Schilt is the greatest manager on the planet? Not one soul is going to raise their hand. They won 16 games. Does that mean he's the greatest manager on the planet? Like, to me, it just doesn't. We're we're blaming, we're putting David Bell as a scapegoat for whenever bad things happen, and I don't get that. Um, if you could have fucking Sparky Anderson managing this team, you think it'd be any different? No. It'd be the same thing. If, and I think again, a good manager is not a manager of a winning team. Just because the team wins does not mean it's a good manager. Just because the team loses does not mean that it's a bad manager. Um, you really have to look at, again, you're having guys that you rely on out. You're having to throw Josh Osich in games because you don't have anyone else. 
No one else is in that bullpen. So to me, you hit the nail on the head. When are we just going to say we need to either one, spend more money or two, we need to be in a place where if guys are not performing, um, we are replacing them with uh, average. You know, we're, we're backfilling average statistics into that position. Um, and I think Kyle Farmer was the perfect example. You know, he really had one good month, maybe that inflated those stats. But even if you you take out that month and put in an average month, let's say for Kyle Farmer, let's say that's 220, that's enough. That, that's plenty. That's, that's just what we need. We never, nobody thought coming into this year that Kyle Farmer was going to be this superstar shortstop. So I'm really confused on the opposite of I don't want David Bell to be our manager. And that's just my opinion, maybe. But again, we can't just scapegoat a guy every time something bad happens. Um, And I think we did that to Amir Garrett uh, earlier in the year where you looked up and we had double digit strikeouts and we had three errors and uh, the pitchers before, you know, whatever, we had multiple opportunities to win a baseball game. And then Amir Garrett comes in and gives up one run. And all of a sudden it's all Amir Garrett's fault. Uh, What about the six opportunities we had in the last three innings to win the game? So I'm, I'm just saying if, if we're, when we win, it's as a team, then when we lose, it's got to be as a team. It can't be point the finger, single one guy out, and especially as a fan base. I I don't respect that at all. So looking at these playoff races, is there anything that really jumps off the page for you? Um, Really, in my opinion, I think the AL wild card really is the most compelling race to me right now. Um, That three-team race, really, um, four-team race, actually. Uh, Red Sox, Yankees, Blue Jays, um, Mariners, five-team, pardon me, and the A's. Um, Really, that sort of back and forth uh, between the Red Sox and the Yankees has been extremely entertaining. Um, especially, um, you know, the, the Jared Carabas uh, reactions uh, that we've gotten out of that. Um, but yeah, uh, that is some really good baseball right there. Um, and then the Blue Jays like right behind um, just going back and forth. Um, and then really two surprise teams, uh, the Mariners and the A's. I mean, who would have thought that with five games left in the season, the Mariners would be two games back of an AL wildcard spot. Um, and then, you know, they're, all, they're five games uh, behind the Astros. That really is kind of a foregone conclusion. 
Um, but yeah, that, that race really to me is probably the best thing going in baseball right now. And then there's also that, um, that really interesting dynamic in the NL West of the Giants and the Dodgers. Who's going to win that division and who's going to own that uh, NL wildcard spot? Um, both are 100-plus win teams, and really both are just one and two, the top two teams in baseball. Um, really that three-headed rotation – as we went over last week uh, for the Dodgers. And then that really overall contribution that you see of the Giants um, to me is, is just great for baseball. Yeah. And that speaks to San Francisco again, going out and getting Chris Bryant at the deadline. That's been the perfect piece for them. Um, You know, I, I forget which episode it was, but I remember when we were talking about this kind of stuff that we had both mentioned that we thought that the Mets would have been better off getting a guy like Chris Bryant than they would Javi Baez because Javi Baez plays, can play second uh, shortstop or third base, but you, the Mets, needed a more consistent type of player. They did not need this long shot um, kind of win or go home mentality. They just needed a guy that would produce on an all-star level to come in and keep producing and playing left um, or third or even center. Um, And it's very satisfying to see certain people struggle um, Cough, cough, Javi Baez. Um, we are, I mean, we're certified Javi Baez haters. Um, we sit at the front. I will never like that man. Um, it's very, very satisfying again seeing, you know, seeing a team that thought that they could go out and get a, get a big name. Javi Baez is a big name, but he is a shit baseball player. And at the end of the day, you you don't win from how many big names are in your lineup. And I think the Dodgers and the Giants are the perfect example of that. The Giants, who would have thought? There was a the, the Giants and the Mariners, just like you said with the Mariners. There was not one person besides probably Giants fans that thought that a rotation of basically former Reds would have been carrying the workload on that point. Um, And then you've got guys producing in that lineup that, again, nobody's ever heard of. And you've got Brandon Belt and Buster Posey and doing, you know, and Brandon Crawford, for that matter, doing just enough to push this team ahead of the Dodgers. You know, you, you compare the two payrolls, you compare the the kind of bigger names, um, stuff like that, 
and there's not one person that would point towards San Francisco and not LA. But having these two teams, I think it it's really exciting to see the brands of baseball that just like you said, San Francisco plays as a whole. They 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 win together, they lose together, they they're not flashy, but they get it done. And then on the complete other side, you've got the Dodgers where that lineup is filled with big names. You know, you're you've got I, I believe they're they're probably behind the Yankees, but um top two or three in payroll in baseball. So and then you add guys like Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, two guys that have been MVP and Cy Young candidates. Um, and I, I, Chris Bryant had a quote that said, there's nothing flashy about this team, and I feel straight at home because all they do is get the job done, and then they go home. They come come in, do it, go home. There's nothing flashy about it. And to me – I think he's going to really change, and this Giants team is going to surprise some people. Um, as a 100-win team, that's really uh, kind of weird to say that a 100-win team is going to surprise some people. But, I mean, you're looking up and down this lineup, and there's not there's no names that you would think are like um, – you know, household big name that is getting paid the max contracts, getting paid three hundred million dollars. I mean, you've got just just up and down the, the list: Darren Ruff, Evan Longoria, Alex Dickerson, Wilmer Flores, Mike Yastrzemski, Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, um, Lamonte Wade, Austin Slater, Stephen Duggar, Tommy Listella, Kurt Casale, like. You know, Chris Bryant is the only guy that's like right now performing, um, or at least would have thought to be performing to the level that they're performing at. Evan Longoria's hitting 280. Who would have thought? You know, I'm I'm surprised and I'm excited to watch this Giants team. I'm excited to see what they can do and see how it stacks up when it really counts. Yeah, one thing that you really spoke about um, that really reminded me, like how this slipped my mind, uh, that superstar mentality for the Padres. How did that go down? And I mean, they just crashed and burned in the second half. I mean, and then that dugout confrontation uh, between Tatis and Machado, that does not look good. Um, even if it was over uh, Machado trying to, you know, get Tatis focused back on the game, not a good look. Um, and then, you know, with that stacked roster, it's insane to think, like, how did they miss the playoffs? I mean, everyone had them, you know, as World Series contenders, and then – like they don't even last until the last week of the season. I mean, that to me is just crazy. Yeah, they they might not even break 500. And 
to speak to that, they play they play the Dodgers in this in this next series, and then after that they play San Francisco. They may not break five hundred. So you're you're talking about a team again that spent big in the offseason that has taken guys from other teams like Blake Snell, like you Darvish. These big names. Uh, they signed Manny Machado, gave Tatis a contract after playing ninety something games. You know, where you're talking about a team that has actively gone out and then shit down their leg. Um, now, granted, I think this team is built for the future. Um, you've got. I'm a huge fan of Jake Cronenworth. Um, I think he's the perfect um, – he's not a, a huge – he does enough to where he allows Tatis and Machado to really um, try and hit home runs. Let's put it like that. He allows Tatis to be great. Um, you know, he gets on base at a high clip, doesn't strike out a lot. Like, you're really talking about – a guy that doesn't get a lot of recognition. And to me, I just, it's the perfect example of um, how about how a lineup has to be balanced. Um, You can't be super top heavy and you can't be um, spending. I think the Yankees are a perfect example of that too. You're, you're spending money on guys that aren't producing for you and to big market teams, that doesn't really matter. But again, Machado was, was a $300 million man Uh, Tatis getting paid. I don't know what, I can't remember what the exact number is, but it's a shit ton of money. Um, And we're, we're talking about a team that's not even going 500. They traded for Adam Frazier at the deadline. I, I, it is it unfathomable. Now the the Reds are not cream of the crop, but the, again, there is not one person who thought that San Diego would be eliminated from the playoffs, and the San Francisco Giants would be leading this division have the potential to win the NL West. Not only that, have the best record in baseball. And I, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm so excited for this, um, for these playoffs. Personally, um, it's hard for me. Let me get your thoughts first. What are you thinking along the lines of, um, kind of playoffs, deeper runs. Are you are you heavy on the Giants? Are you thinking LA star power is going to bust through and it's really just going to overtake? Uh, or are you thinking along somewhere in that AL? Um, to me right now, um, I, I'm really keeping my eye uh, on two teams in the NL right now that being the Giants and the Brewers, um, purely because the Brewers just have that uh, great pitching rotation. 
Um, and then as we mentioned, the Giants are just like a team that's just built around uh, every single player on that roster contributing. Um, so those two for me really stand out in this in this field. Um, that NL East division is still kind of um, it's a little shaky for me because the Braves are only two and a half ahead of the Phillies. Um, but I don't really see either of those teams going anywhere. Um, and then the Rays, for me, that is the team to watch in the AL. I think this is the moment where they finally break through. And really, it's a shame because no one's there in their stadium to even watch it. But um, But I think this is really the year that they can – uh, really break through and maybe capture a World Series title. Yeah, and I think you hit it on the head with Milwaukee. Um, pitching is so important in the playoffs. Um, you know, you've got a heightened atmosphere if if you can consistently get guys out. Um, and we've seen it all year with Milwaukee. You got Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, and Brandon Woodruff. It's it's and you've got Hader in that bullpen. Boxberger's been good all year for them. Um, again, I don't think the NL East is in play. I think Milwaukee is very, very, very much in play. Um, San Francisco again. It's going to be. I'm going to say three teams within the NL. Uh, we can break it down as we can say Milwaukee. Um, we can say the Dodgers, and we can say the Giants. Um, for for me, see, Boston and New York are hard um, in the AL because you're, you're fighting behind. Like right now, it's it's a race, but I think a lot of people are forgetting um, Tampa Bay and Houston. Um, I don't I don't know if Chicago. See, I think this is where it gets hard with Chicago is that you are very reliant on scoring a lot of runs. And when you're facing teams that have, like if you're facing Chris Sale in the playoffs, you can't, you're not going to rely on scoring 10 runs in that game. Like it's just not going to happen. And it's a very, very good offensive team, but you you just simply don't have the pitching to um, to really win you games when your offense doesn't score a lot of runs. So to me, I'm looking at Tampa Bay and Houston. Um, again, it's going to be hard for me with New York and Boston. I can compare them to kind of the Reds where – I feel like whenever they're so up and down where it's not, you never know what you're going to get where there's been stretches where Boston has seemed like the best team in baseball. And then there's been stretches where you're thinking, how is this team even in contention? So if you had to guess playoff picture right now, are what two teams in the AL are you going with in the wild card? I'm, 
in the wild card, I'm I'm thinking I'm still thinking Red Sox Yankees. Um, I think uh, the Blue Jays have really given a good run at it, but at the end of the day, um, I feel like their offense is really strong, but their pitching is just slightly lacking. And I feel like um, at this point, to me, um, the Mariners and the A's are kind of non-factors in this. Um, So, you know, to me, it is Red Sox-Yankees. And like you said, they've been so up and down. Um, But I think they really – I think this last week of the season, they hold on and they finally gel. Yeah, um, it, what a what a nut shot for that Seattle fan base. Um, trading away Kendall Graveman, that is awful. You're you're in the last two series, and Oakland is playing Seattle right now, and Seattle's winning. So th- there's a very good chance that um, you know, let's let's say Seattle wins this series, so we're taking Oakland out of it basically at that point because they would essentially need a lot of things to happen that probably aren't going to happen um and then you've got toronto and the yankees playing each other for this upcoming series so the yankees are going to be hard pressed because boston's playing baltimore and as much as it would be awesome to see some of those young guys in Baltimore, including Cedric Mullins, um, kind of play spoiler. I don't think it's going to happen, but you're, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think, um, I think payroll wins big here. And I think ultimately Boston, New York go through and they have that wild card. Um, that's going to be awesome for ratings for those playoff ratings. That's going to be awesome. But um, to me, I don't think the Yankees or the Red Sox have what it takes to, to, to go deep into the playoffs. They just don't have the, the stability for it. So to me, I'm looking Tampa Bay uh, or Houston to win out in the AL. I think Houston sort of has the same, the same problem of some of that pitching has been awesome, but how long does that hold up? Um, that bullpen, they picked up, they picked up Pedro Baez at the deadline. Um, obviously they picked up Graveman really helped them, but you know, you, you were throwing Brooks Raley again, former red. Um, but you were throwing Brooks Raley on a, seemed like daily basis for Houston. And again, that's not a recipe to win baseball games. Um, but adding those two was monumental for them. If I was a fan of Seattle, I would be so mad. I would be so upset. You are gifting Houston with a a reliever that and and all you got back was i don't want to say all you got back abraham toro who is playing behind he he is not a starter for that team 
He's playing behind Kyle Seeger at third, and it will continue to play behind, I believe, Dylan Moore at second on that team. And it, it blows my mind again how front offices can say stuff like they want to win and they want to do this, and then you trade away your best reliever. You don't want to win at that point. Um, and it makes me very – like. I think Colorado, the, that fan base should be livid. You had Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story. You traded away Nolan Arenado saying that it was just best for the team. I don't know how trading one of the best, if not the best, third baseman off your team is best for the team. But, you know, who am I to say? And then at the deadline, you have an opportunity to really get better and trade if the um, you had a really good opportunity in Colorado to really get better at the deadline and you just didn't. Like you just didn't trade for um, you just didn't trade for anybody. Now Trevor Story is going to leave, and you're going to get one compensation pick. One. You could have turned that Colorado into two prospects, high-end prospects, and probably two or three picks. If you combined Trevor Story and Herman Marquez into a deal, or even John, John Gray instead of Marquez in there. Again, I just don't understand. These front offices cannot say that, and again, speaking straight from a Reds fan, you cannot say that you want to win and you are actively trying to win and then not fill gaping holes on the team or try and get the best players possible. Like That's your job as a front office is to try and put the best team possible on a field. And you cannot say that you're trying to win and then pay Shogo, I think it's $7 million a year and not even play him until somebody gets hurt. It, it's unfathomable to me that I think the main culprits here are Seattle, Colorado, and Cincinnati. Um, but not to get too off track, World Series winner, I am going to say, personally, I think it's going to be Tampa Bay-Milwaukee in that in that World Series. Um, I think that offense does just enough. Um, you added um, uh, the first baseman from Toronto. God. Um, Tellez. Tellez. You added Rowdy Tellez. Um, you know, you Colton Wong for that team. Again, sucks that he stayed in the Central. That sucks that he stayed in the Central. But Colton Wong for that team has been electric. Um, Omar Narvaez is a great hitter. Um, I don't think stats really tell a story on him. When when he play when he comes to Cincinnati or when we play the Brewers, it seems like we never get that guy out. Um, and then you've obviously got Willie Adamas was on fire. I think it's going to be 
that offense is going to be just enough to put them over the top with that with that stellar pitching. But I think ultimately um, Tampa Bay is just too um, – I think they have too many – too many pieces at too many spots. You know, if again, they've they've got one of the best farm systems and best development systems to where you've got guys that have failed in other places that come in and are put in specific situations to succeed. Um like specifically righty lefty matchups, stuff like that. Um, but I think they just have too many weapons to throw at you. Um and I don't think three pitchers – I think the pitching will carry Milwaukee to the World Series, but I don't think that it's going to be enough to push them over the hump. Right. Um, for me, it is going to be um, – I, I think – it's going, the Brewers are at least going to reach that NLCS, but in my mind, um, it will be the Giants who end up uh, making that World Series against the Rays. I think, like I said, the Rays have um, the AL pretty much on lock, in my opinion. Um, and to your point, that uh that pitching staff really it might do enough but i feel like that overall um sort of one through nine team uh mentality that the giants have is really going to put them through um just because of you know like you mentioned those hitters longoria uh Yastrzemski, posey belt um, et cetera. Um, those guys really, uh, that one through nine mentality really starts to pay off. Um, and then the Rays, just absolute dominance overall. Um, and that's really going to be entertaining for me to see um, those two who really two teams that are really based off of that team mentality of one through nine, um, just go at it for a championship. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to argue against San Francisco. I mean, there's not like, it's hard for me to say that they don't have the certain pieces because I didn't think that they had the certain pieces at the beginning of the year either. And now they're a hundred one team. Um, so who's to say that that can't happen in the postseason? Um, I, I really do think that it's, it, it probably is a toss up between um, Milwaukee, LA and San Francisco. It may be that one, maybe a couple or a few plays in some key games, really decide who wins those series. I, you're, we're going to see a lot of game sevens. Um, and I'm not complaining about it, but it's going to be really very, very, very um, interesting. And only time will tell, but it's going to come down to a key error or a key hit 
or a big strikeout in a situation where that could really change the series. And um, I think, I think we just, at this point, we, we both, I think agreed that we think Tampa Bay is going to win the world series. So, you know, that NL is going to be fun in the playoffs, but again, that's that raised lineup is just so they just have too many pieces to throw at you. Um, you know, for example, like if you let's say you're starting, let, let's say it's Milwaukee or even LA for that matter. Milwaukee, you're you're starting one of the three heads, they're all righties. In LA, you're starting Bueller, Kershaw, you're Scherzer, um, Bueller, Kershaw, Scherzer there, and two of those are righties. They've started all lefty lineups before. Um, and maybe uh, some people think that's not a big deal, but obviously the Rays have proven that it is a big deal. It's a big fucking deal. They win. 90 to 100 games every year because of it. Their whole team is healthy because of it. And again, I'm, it's just so difficult to... If you're going to say these two pitching staffs are on the same level and this team always puts the right player in the right situation at the right time, it's difficult to say... Well, Milwaukee or San Francisco or LA is just gonna win out. You you you've really got a it's timely hitting there. Um, again, I think one or two plays decide that World Series as well, and that's gonna be so fun to watch uh, moving down the stretch, especially with the way um, some of these teams are playing right now. Now, so as it stands. Uh, St. Louis doesn't get out of that wild card game, right? No, not no, with that I, with that rotation. No. Yeah. So uh, again, uh, the NL East is a toss up as of who wins, but I don't think it matters who wins. I think they get booted out of the first round. So um, it's it's going to be interesting to see now. Really, I'm kind of concerned with um, moving forward from a Reds point of view. Next year, um, Castellanos is rumored to leave, and we can get into this a little bit deeper next episode, but... um, is it a stretch to say that I'm concerned with finishing in third place next year behind Milwaukee and behind St. Louis? No, I don't, I don't think it's a stretch at all because, you know, it just all hinges on Bob wanting to spend that money. Plain and simple. Um, You know, with the way that, Nick's played. He deserves that money. No doubt about it. Write him a blank check right now. I mean, 
it's amazing to me that we go out and get a piece like this and, you know, kind of like you mentioned earlier, just waste it. Um, so, you know, I don't know how you don't re-sign him, um, but it's not going to happen unless Bob shells out that money. So um, I certainly hope it happens. Um, and, you know, he absolutely deserves it and he'll deserve it to, um, he'll deserve the money wherever he goes. So, yeah. Um, so very concerned. Yeah. Right now we're in third place, you know, in the, in the central. And I think that's, that should be the ultimate goal every year, obviously is to win the central, um, and then move from there. Um, but we've scored the most runs in the central and given up the third most behind Chicago and in Pittsburgh. Think about this as good as Milwaukee's staff has been. Let's throw them out the window because they've been stellar this year. St. Louis's staff, however, I don't think is up to par, um, with ours name wise, we've given up 727 runs and they've only given up 651 runs. I think that's a real, like something's got to be fixed on that end, but, um, it's, it's very, I'm, I'm so not hopeful (laughs) Um, which sucks to say because I just feel like we're getting the same story over and over again. We're right there and can't get over the hump. But um, interesting fact to end on, San Francisco was projected to go 74-87 and this year. Currently, San Francisco is 102-54. and And with that, we'll end. See you in episode 12.